Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 17, Postnatal. People often say that postnatal care is like the Cinderella service of maternity. That means it doesn't really get the resources, doesn't really get the attention. It's the bit of the service that gets a bit forgotten, a bit of an afterthought. So today I'm going to explore why is that? Why is postnatal care such a problem? And is it a problem? And if so, what can we do about it? Although I don't really like to talk about money, when I'm thinking about healthcare. Part of the problem is money, funding. Originally, maternity care was paid for in a sort of lump sum. And then when the NHS payment system changed, they set tariffs, different tariffs for different procedures, if it was a surgical specialty, say, and different tariffs for different sorts of births and different tariffs for different sorts of antenatal care. And when they formed the maternity tariff, very little of that money is postnatal. So the postnatal tariff is only about £200-£250. And when you think within that tariff, you've got to do a number of newborn screening tests plus care for mothers and care for babies and infant feeding support, that is next to nothing. So tariff is part of the underpinning problem. And yes, of course, you don't need to deliver your service within tariff. You could use some of the tariff from other areas, but actually those tariffs aren't exactly big either. So Money is part of the problem, definitely. So when I'm talking about postnatal care, I'm talking about postnatal on the ward, so in the hospital. And that might be in a transitional care area where we can care for mothers and babies together, babies that perhaps need a bit more observation and a bit of attention from the neonatal paediatricians and nursery nurses. These might be babies that are on antibiotics or babies that are having phototherapy for jaundice or babies that need a bit of monitoring in terms of their well-being because they had meconium at birth or they need to gain weight because they were growth restricted, things like that. Then we have a more normal postnatal ward where there is midwifery input but less neonatal input. And then obviously there's care at home 
women who've had a baby will receive a number of visits from midwives or midwife support workers at home. And these do things like check the mother's stitches, check the mother's well-being, check the weight of the baby and also take a newborn blood spot for screening tests. So they'll be supporting women at home after their birth. And typically this care lasts a couple of weeks. And if we're doing what we call enhanced postnatal visits, this might be for a period of 28 days. And at the end of the time that the midwives and support workers are visiting, they hand over to the health visitor. So that's what I mean by postnatal care. And part of the problem with postnatal care is it's a little bit fractured. It's fractured between different specialties. So I've already mentioned handover to health visitors. And it's also fractured between the hospital and general practice, primary care. Postnatal care has been eroded over the years. So it used to be that every woman having a caesarean got an automatic follow-up at the hospital with an obstetrician. Now that's no longer the case. Maybe that's because there are so many caesareans, it would be completely impossible. Maybe it's just we're not prioritising it, both financially and as a service. Women go and see their GP and studies by the National Childbirth Trust, NCT, have shown that this can be a very cursory check tagged on to the baby check that happens at eight weeks. And only recently, the NHS has announced new funding for a proper maternal postnatal check. It was announced in February this year. But even though they've announced they're putting money behind it, it's so that every woman can have a 10-minute appointment. And my immediate reaction to that is 10 minutes. 10 minutes to cover the emotional well-being of a mother, her physical recovery and life with a new baby. That's massive. 10 minutes? Really? On the ward, things are left to the most junior doctors. Our GP trainees, our foundation doctors and our very junior first and second year trainees are the people that do all the routine postnatal checks. So part of the time they're simply being asked questions they just don't know the answer to. They've had very little training and as I mentioned, the Cinderella service, it does really get left to them. This is partly because the more senior doctors, the registrars, the more senior grades of trainees are often busy on the labour ward or busy in clinics, as is the consultant. So it's not that we're not interested and we don't care. It's just we're multitasking in the extreme. And if we're dealing with acute problems, so something that is feeling life and death on the labour ward, we're not going to prioritise going round to the postnatal wards. A few years ago, because of my interest in maternity experience, I started doing a twice-weekly postnatal ward round. Women's experience is often coloured by what the last thing is they've done. So the simplicity of going and seeing someone on the postnatal ward and explaining what's happened to them and making a very simple adjustment um, to the plan of their care or discharging them home can make a big difference to women. So I discovered that my ward round can be incredibly light touch. 
I might discuss cases with the junior doctors and midwives. I might not even need to see the woman. I might just give some directions and instructions. Or I may need to go and sit down and spend some time with a woman, explaining things to her and reassuring her. Or it may be literally popping in and saying, hello, how are you? How's it going? And this, that and the other is what we're looking at before you go home. So often very, very minor intervention or input from me can make a massive difference to staff and to women. When I've been doing my maternity experience work, women have talked about feeling dumped. So they may have had very intense antenatal monitoring. They may have been coming to our day assessment unit regularly. They may have been having a lot of ultrasound scans. They may have had a long inpatient antenatal stay with some complications. So they've had very intense scrutiny of their pregnancy and during their birth. And then suddenly they feel they've got much less support. Over the years, I've had several young sixth form students come and shadow me for work experience. I really enjoy seeing my work through their eyes and their fascination and enthusiasm is infectious. One such student commented how bizarre she found it. Why on the postnatal wards do we have one set of doctors for the women and one set for the babies? Why can't one doctor do everything? It doesn't make sense. You ask the woman if she has any questions and she immediately asks you something about the baby and you have to say, that's not my area of expertise. You'll have to wait for the paediatricians. You'll need to ask them that question. It's illogical. And when women are leaving the hospital to go home, she's got to get the okay from two different sets of people. Why is that? Part of that makes sense. They're different specialties. You can't be a specialist in everything, but we could do more to blur those boundaries. Is it because we have the Royal College of Paediatricians and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists? Is it because we don't want to step out of those boundaries? Is it because there would be a risk to stepping out of those boundaries? It's an interesting question. One of the places I see this really exaggerated is with breastfeeding. So breastfeeding, there's very minimal training on breastfeeding and expressing for obstetric doctors. And I'm not really sure how much there is for paediatric doctors. Who's responsible for breastfeeding knowledge and advice? We often get asked, do we know the answers? Obviously, midwives are very expert in infant feeding. They do a lot of training and a lot of support, as do our midwifery support workers. But as doctors, we don't really know very much about it. We can be giving women information slightly blindly with information we've learnt on the job or information we've learnt from feeding our own babies. A particularly difficult problem can be when we're asked about use of particular drugs. Some drugs that mothers take come through into the breast milk and this can have a variable impact on the baby. 
often it's a risk we need to take. Often it's a drug that the baby's been exposed to during pregnancy anyway. But there can be a very risk-averse attitude and uncertainty. And there's nothing worse than a woman being told erroneously that she can't breastfeed or that that breast milk needs to be discarded. There is a fantastic online resource, a website, breastfeedingnetwork.org.uk, which I will put in the programme notes for this episode. And this is a website run by pharmacists for use by pregnant women and new mothers and staff alike. And you can look up many different drugs and see whether or not breastfeeding is safe. So I highly recommend that as a resource to use when you're uncertain. A lot of things have changed about postnatal care during the course of my career. When I started out as a trainee, we were expected to go and visit the postnatal ward on our shifts. Um, So we would go and see the women that we had helped birth their babies the day before. You would go and see the women you'd cared for. And that was really important, both in terms of our understanding of the consequences and recovery from the interventions we made, but also for the women so that they had a chance to reflect and understand and ask questions. The postnatal ward was a big open ward. I worked in a couple of places where they had the big old fashioned nightingale wards with beds in two long lines, two long rows either side of the ward. And that wasn't great in terms of privacy and sleep, I'm sure, being in a massive ward of maybe 20 mothers and babies. But it was a very sociable place. It was a place where mums and babies mingled, could talk to each other, could swap experience and ideas could perhaps if you were first time mum meet another mother with a baby born at a similar time and if you were having your second or third baby you might be opposite a first time mum and you could give her your advice and experience so it was quite a sociable place both for the women and the staff Now there's a lot more emphasis on single rooms and I think some of that sociable meeting people, meeting peers that you might want to keep in touch with or exchange ideas with has got a bit lost. So we're much more siloed, women sitting behind their curtains on the postnatal ward almost scared to venture out on the other side if they're in a a two-bedded or four-bedded bay. And one of the most frequent questions I get asked is, can I have a single room on the postnatal ward? Everybody wants a single room. And you might get more rest, but you might get less care. You might get, not forgotten, but you're shut away. You're not in the hustle and bustle. It's true it's not necessarily a calming environment postnatally, but you're a little bit isolated. When I started out, 
women who had a cesarean stayed in hospital for two or three nights. And now we have enhanced recovery, which means women may go home as soon as 24 hours after their surgery. And that's really good. It's good to get women moving. It is healthier um, to get their catheter, the tube that's been in their bladder out, the drip down and get them up and walking, less risk of infection, less risk of blood clots. But this isn't suitable for all women. Everything needs to have been very straightforward. And it does slightly detract from the fact that a cesarean is still major surgery. When I was training, it seemed incongruous to me that a cesarean, after a cesarean, a woman went home in a couple of days and was expected to look after her newborn baby. Whereas women who had an abdominal hysterectomy with a similar incision on the gynecology ward would be home in perhaps four or five days and then recuperate for sometimes up to 12 weeks, three months very much resting and doing nothing. It's quite a different perspective on how we expect women to respond to surgery. So on the postnatal ward, I see women who perhaps have some complications, perhaps they need blood pressure control, perhaps they need a discussion, explanation of their birth, or Sometimes I see women that are readmitted. So these are women that have gone home and then in the first few days or weeks after having a baby, they're readmitted to hospital. And that is the last thing we want. It's really disruptive to the beginning of their family life. It's the last place they want to be. And there are a number of reasons why it happens. One of the most common problems is mastitis. And this is where I find it difficult that we don't have that much training on breastfeeding and infant feeding. And for mastitis, we often have to interface with the surgical breast team of specialists and send the women to a one-stop clinic. But if the woman needs admission, she's under our care on the postnatal ward. And mastitis, the midwives have some excellent tricks in terms of keeping expressing milk and soothing the very inflamed breasts and we treat with antibiotics and anti-inflammatories and it's a common problem. Another common problem is raised blood pressure and sometimes we end up with women on multiple medications to take at many different times of the day. So one medication that's being taken three times a day perhaps isn't working and so we add in another medication to take twice a day and sometimes that means women end up on multiple different tablets taking four or five times a day and it's no wonder they may not manage to keep to a time schedule. We're setting them an impossible task when we add in a sleepless night looking after a newborn baby and and massive disruption to their circadian rhythm. So it's much better if we can get them on medications that they take perhaps once or twice a day. Women are readmitted with infections, commonly infection in a caesarean scar or the stitches that they've had on the perineum. Often they need some antibiotics, but often what they really need is time. Time is an amazing healer. And often what I need to do is be sympathetic 
reassure them, give them my name and often see them two or three times for a few weeks while the healing takes place. And just knowing they've got someone to come to uh, who's taking them seriously and who they can reach out to is usually enough. And over a few weeks, it, it usually settles down. A common problem, usually around day nine or 10, is what's called a secondary hemorrhage. So that's heavy bleeding. Having had the bleeding that we call lochia that happens after you've had a baby tailing off a bit, suddenly getting very heavy. And this can be very dramatic. Women can pass large clots of blood and can lose quite a significant amount of blood at home. And the most common cause is infection, that there's an infection in the lining of the womb. But they need admission. They need treatment with medications to help stop the bleeding antibiotics and sometimes they've got little bits of tissue of the membranes around the baby or the placenta around the baby that need a small operation to remove. So secondary hemorrhage is not that unusual and often is quite scary, quite unexpected for a woman who thinks she's getting better, she's nearly a couple of weeks down the line from having had her baby and then suddenly it's pouring blood at home and may need admission via ambulance for urgent treatment. So coming back to the Cinderella service, I want to give a shout out to one of my colleagues, Sunita Sharma at Chelsea and Westminster. Sunita is inspirational. She's been pioneering networking of postnatal leads across London. So obstetricians and midwifery matrons who are leading and specialising in postnatal care, swapping ideas, exchanging improvements and working together to try and improve postnatal care across London. I helped Sunita run a specific maternity experience workshop wholly based on postnatal care. And she's done a lot of quality improvement work around postnatal. For her, it's her passion. And I think we could do with a few more Sunitas to really up the ante and make postnatal care a higher priority area within our services. Now it's time for this week's zesty bit. So for the zesty bit, I want to urge you to make an effort to visit the postnatal ward, whether you're a midwife or a junior doctor. I know it's difficult with shifts. I know that it's much harder if you're not there the next day or the next few days and the women may have gone. But if you can, go and see the woman you have cared for and ensure that they leave hospital understanding what has happened to them, why it happened what the implications are, what their recovery is going to be like and what it means for the future, that would be a major improvement. I find a shocking number of women leave without understanding what happened and why, only to come back either two or three years later when they're pregnant again or worse still, with it having had a major impact on their lives 
so that they perhaps don't come back at all or come back many, many years down the line because they've been too scared to get pregnant again. So as a new mother or as a pregnant woman, when you leave hospital, ask questions about your care. Understand what happened. Why did it happen? What does it mean? So that it isn't whirling around your mind for the next few years. Make sure you understand and make sure your partner understands because your partner also needs to make sense of what's happened during your labour and birth. And finally, if you're on the postnatal ward, draw back the curtains, meet whoever's in the opposite bed. As staff, encourage people to talk, people to exchange experiences and ideas. Make it a much more social place. We may not have the day rooms that we used to have on wards, but the human touch of talking to one another, that's free. That doesn't take any resource. That's available to all of us. So that's today's zesty bit. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the OBS pod to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at FWMaternity and at the OBSPod. And please do check the MATEXP hashtag, hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P and the website matexp.org uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past, very safe. Many thanks for listening.